0: So one of the challenges is, or or maybe the, well, one of the challenges is there are so many things that need to shift for black Americans. Um, Even you could say whether or not they're of African descent people that are just treated in a racist fashion by an individual or the system because of the color of their skin still in 2021, um, that as you said, We have, we're not really advancing yet. We've kind of, we have certainly progressed from a society of slavery, a society of segregation and things are changing. But this this situation of, that's only recently become kind of a public concern with George Floyd's murder being caught on video and people going, oh, whoa. So cops can do this and get away with it now Obviously you've known about this for decades. I've known about this for about a decade. And it's not just black folks that get mistreated by the system. It's in general, just people who have very little voice or power in the system. People who are perceived as poor and potentially dangerous or just poor. And um, there's so much we can talk about inside of all that. Right. What I'm trying to get at is I agree with you that we haven't really advanced we are becoming more aware and this i think ties to the idea of apocalypse and apocalypsis that apocalypsis is a and the the sort of the true meaning of apocalypse is that it's a revelation that the the dominant culture is out of touch with the real intentions of balance that are here and present in this creation on earth or in a divine sense and we're needing now to advance into a culture that doesn't destroy other people's lives, doesn't destroy the the life support system that we share, doesn't engage in choosing to ignore climate change and how that creates more political divisionism because it forces refugeeism, choosing uh, to ignore this radical imbalance in wealth injustice in our country and around the world. But what the context I want to apply to this is: you said, you know, when you went to Tanzania and maybe other parts of Africa, that you weren't, and not just because you're in Africa and and you know the majority of the population overwhelmingly is black skin color, but there's also a different heart about that culture that you weren't treated in the same the same way. That that it was a more welcoming community or society, and and I assume that by advancing. You know, what we mean is getting out of this paradigm we're in right now where people are, as you said, um, we fear before we hear. Yeah. That we're, we're driven by alienation right now and this kind of fatalistic self-centeredness as opposed to an openness and a curiosity about the gifts that we each have. And the, the conversations I've had with Matt, Reverend Matt Seardall, who I'm going to send you a link to his, his uh, project and, and Mary DeYoung, are about what's happening in kind of I would say white Christianity that they call rewilding Christianity and that's a whole thing I would like to talk to you about but essentially they're getting at for me this idea of connectedness and this sort of namaste kind of idea we start to see that it's miraculous that I'm here at all and I'm connected to the earth literally through my physical body through the fact that I depend on the water I depend on the soil I depend on the the biodiversity that makes the life support system. And it's a miracle. And, and you can have an earth-based spirituality that connects to wilderness. And all of these things enliven your spiritual life because you begin to see the sacredness in all things around you. They talk about an animistic spirituality where you start to recognize you know, that this coffee cup is choosing to be a coffee cup in the quantum field. And there's something special about that but in the more immediate real sense that I'm alive for a short time, you're alive for a short time, I don't know where I came from, I don't know where I'm going, but I know it's miraculous that I'm here at all. I'm an animated biological creature. And so I see the light in myself, I see the light in you, I see the light in every individual. And getting to, a, 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 to me an advanced society is very much about that right now, that we, we start to remove these fear lenses and instead open up and have these um, curiosity lenses, these fascination lenses even where it's like you know who are you? You're, you're a genius in your own right, you're a special individual no matter who or what you are and I want to engage with that you know reality and so it really struck me that you said we're not advancing really yet and it really struck me that you said that you had a sense of a different kind of society when you visited Africa and it really, for me right now, is resonating that we are each brilliant, miraculous individuals living in a society of miracles. And, um, and I want to just throw that out for you to comment on. You know, what would what would advancement be like for you in this context of healing the traumas, healing the self esteem abuse that has been systemic, that has been media driven, that has been, you know, even paradigm driven you could say in the idea that god is a white man for instance mm-hmm. um what are, what does this advancement kind of look like for you
1: definitely wow yeah yeah w- another way to, easy one. way to right yeah way to um give me the grand slam question of all uh i think the biggest piece is how do we dismantle white hegemony how do we dismantle that the way that is taught in our culture was taught in textbooks the way that um, uh, theologically the bible has been interpreted and given to us uh, the way in which ontologically people are orally and uh in an audio manifestation uh giving us humans of all different creeds nationalities uh, ethnic backgrounds um demographics if you will how do we dismantle that, Uh, this notion that white is right, which has created institutionalized oppression, which has created post-traumatic slave disorder, which has created self-hatred, not just for black people, but for all races. I think the most assimilated culture of them all uh, would be the the, uh, Asian culture I mean, whether we're talking Southeast Asian, whether we're talking um, folks who are from India, Sri Lanka, uh, folks who are from China, uh, I've never seen assimilation at such a large, vast demographic and rapid demographic uh, as I have uh, in America with with Asians. Um, Doesn't make sense to me, but it is what it is. Um, But I've seen that with each and every culture of assimilating to white culture, because they believe that that's what American culture, that's what success, that's how you get the American dream, that's how you are accepted, that's how you make it in the game, that's how you make it uh, in this uh, ecclesiastical ladder of of what progress and status looks like. How do we dismantle that That, uh, white is not right? that we don't have to fight one another, that we don't have to challenge one another because of the way that we talk, look, dress, think, if it's not similar to white culture. But also there's other pieces, um, there's so many elements that have been stolen from black culture. And it leads me to the second part. So how do we dismantle white hegemony? but amplify black and multicultural existentialism. As I said earlier, we're not fighting for equality, we're fighting for our existence. But there's something within our existential, epistemological and eschatological lives as people of African descent, of people of multicultural descent that we have gifted and birthed and brought into society that has been stolen from us and never given credit that's due. Uh, I love Chris that you always wanted to be a jazz musician. And um, I I remember uh, when I played the B flat trumpet for eight years and trying to think that I was a Louis Armstrong or a Miles Davis, Um, but researching about the Harlem Renaissance when I saw Baltimore's very own Ella Fitzgerald, when I'm seeing the culture that the Black public birthed into our society, the jazz, blues, rhythm and blues, hip-hop, b rap, even folk music, that again was a residual effect of hymns that were sang on the plantation. I think about America's greatest hymn, Amazing Grace, even though John Newton wrote the words, Amazing Grace, the melody came from the bow of the ship that he was writing it on, when he was hearing the, the, the slaves humming, that gave him a way to craft and curate and create Amazing Grace, and I love that when I studied more about Amazing Grace, the words came from Newton, but the melody came from slaves. And on a pentatonic scale, you and I being musicians, knowing what that is, that it is to this day, the only hymn that you have to play, the only way to play it right, of course, is using the black keys. So if you don't use the black keys, you have grace, but it's not amazing, right? <laughs> so. I look at how we have to be able to amplify, we have to be able to give credit, we have to be able to uplift black and multicultural existentialism in today's culture. I can't tell you how many elected officials I piss off, how many bishops, hierarchy, ecclesiastical positions, because I have a gift that God gave me that they will never in a million years, even if they pay for it, will never have but I'm never given the credit because I refuse to assimilate, to graduate, just to participate. I already have a seat at the table. I'm gonna either stand or sit on the table or bring a seat, which I want, I feel like doing at the time. But God created me to be an intellectual, gifted, attractive, young black male that knows his worth, his purpose and his value and how he can contribute to society and make it a better place today than it was yesterday. But the day where we start dismantling that one culture is superior and inferior to the rest and we start learning how to embrace, amplify and uplift all the cultures that's the day when we can actually move forward. And, and the last thing I will say, and you know Preachers be lying when we say that. <laughs> the last thing I'm gonna say, um, I remember Free Joe Starr, um, amazing rapper, part of uh, the group Onyx, um, hit song, Let the Boys Be Boys Slam, right? Uh, I remember uh, he had this song with uh, Philadelphia's very own, uh, uh, I forgot her name, uh, when I say it was, she had the song Golden, um, and I remember in the song that they were singing, uh, True Colors, which is on the soundtrack of Save the Last Dance, he said, we're all the same color when you turn off the lights. I never thought that was like black power, like like uh, Bobby Hutton, uh, Hugh V. Newton, uh, or, or as we look at um, Fred Hampton from um, the, the new movie that came out on HBO of uh, Jesus and the Black Messiah uh, in Chicago, but, but I always looked at it as in this two kingdom doctrine that Lutherans believe in, which Luther believed it was a separation of church and state. I've always, as a person uh, of a theological manifestation, I've had to see that differently, that the two kingdom theory has to work for me as a black person to believe that, yes, I'm going through hell on earth on this kingdom in my physical body. The temple God allowed me to have an opportunity to live in during this time period but my hope comes from the creator that said that there is a kingdom that's gonna be better. So I might be dealing with racism, classism, sexism, ageism, lack of equal access to resources, a wealth gap that will never close. I may never see $100,000 in my name in this kingdom, but in the kingdom, I believe that in God's kingdom, none of that stuff matters. Race will never matter. Your sexual preference will never matter. Your marital status will never matter. Your income will never matter. Whether you were someone who was the most philanthropic person or you gave the most community service, whether you have a record or whether you are setting records, it will never matter. But all I can do, and I love what people who are in uh, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous do, I think they're the most trustworthy uh, and most transparent people, because step number one, they have to admit that they are an addict. Um, they follow this literature that I, I, I love. I was a chaplain for people who are in NA whether they're veterans or civilians, and it was called Just For Today. And at the very end, of every single devotion they read, it was just for today, I will whatever. All we can control is just for today. Just for today, my goal is not to uh, tell the white person they're racist and overthrow the government and all that other stuff and black power and have riots and all that. Just for today, I'm trying to control my actions and reactions to situations but I'm also trying to learn how to put flesh on my faith in order to move forward in this fight for equal freedom of one another. just for today, I'm also trying to have conversations and dialogues with people who may look like me, but I also understand that skin folk are not kin folk and that kin folk are not skin folk, but I realize that just for today, I can have the authority to choose who I wanna be in dialogue with, who I choose to give my human and intellectual capital to, who I choose to dialogue with and who I choose to be in company with. And just for today, I can also learn what are the ways that I can do my part in this movement towards ecological, theological, and metaphysical freedom so that the generations behind are not doing as much work as I had to do. Because the generation that I stand on their shoulders today did quite a bit of work for me to have the opportunity to be where I am today. But I think that being able to really dismantle institutionalized racism, institutionalized privilege, but also create new ways and new ventures for voices that have never been heard, for stories that need to be shared, and for people who feel as though their life has no worth or value, and that no one would ever wanna hear or or, or read or see what they've gone through. This season of COVID-19 has really been able to amplify that. Whether it was the Different Lens series that Spirit Garage Church was doing whether it's what allcreation.org is doing, uh, whether it's what Huffington Post is writing about. I love and I'm fascinated by how media is evolving and for the good, where people are able to say, hey, I don't like that church. I don't like the news. I don't like that movie. I don't like that podcast. But I'm going to get on YouTube, create my own thing and share my story because it needs to be said. How do we keep investing and building and sowing into those gifted intellectual minds that are going to really shape the generations that will come hundreds of years from now? And with that, we hit the pause button
0: on this conversation. That's a beautiful way to end this session. I cannot thank you enough, Lewis and Reverend Lewis Tillman. You have been a friend to me from the very first uh, outreach to try and set up interviews, <laughs> and I've been chasing you around for about six weeks trying to get that's some that's time. That's that. You've given me an enormous amount of time today. Um, I also I have learned so much from you, and I think the world has a lot to learn from you. And we are we are both blessed and just lucky to have you and and your generation and and others like you to uh, kind of. Get us to try and catch up and and, and get with it. And um, I don't know how to give you enough good compliments. Um,
1: <laughs> You're too kind. Don't believe the hype. <laughs>
0: uh, it's not <laughs> a hype. I tell you what. Um, so, I I really want to say one one other thing. You know, it may yeah. be off mic, but I just um, I do think we are on the path. I really think we're on a path here towards this type of advancement. And I I um, I look forward to talking with you about that because I certainly have a um, a different perspective on on what that means that that's not encumbered by a lot of the things that you're challenged with in your daily work just in uh, you know East Baltimore and I want to make it all apply and, and at the beginning of this interview I was thinking I need to just get in a car and drive up there and start working for you you know this is <laughs> really exciting to meet someone like you who's doing so much and has such a strong rooted purpose and is living that purpose and is showing I think that's the most important thing I'm taking away from experience of getting to know you a little bit here is finding and living out purpose um, whatever that means religious or otherwise uh, you know militaristic uh, career community organizing and community building career helping people who are coming out of incarceration that you know all these different aspects of your work also your faith-led leadership so and then, and then these issues of trying to, um, trying to help people of different racial backgrounds get into dialogue and, and taking the time and putting the energy into it. All of these things are each one just so remarkable and so I- incredibly now, so incredibly existential and so overdue. And we are lucky to be in this moment together and to try and visualize where we're gonna go as we grow into a healthier society. Yeah. I put all that at, at sort of at your feet, you know, you've really, <laughs> you've really, really given me a lot to uh, to be excited about. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thank you Chris, I, it was an honor and a privilege. And uh, I'm just so thankful for all creation.org. I, I think that uh, the best is really just yet to come. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the journey. And I just thank you for allowing me to be a part of the journey in this capacity.